The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. I'm thankful uh, that you have come out again uh, to be here this morning to worship the Lord on this Resurrection Sunday. I ask if you would turn in your copy of the Word of God to John chapter 11. Uh, John chapter 11, we're going to look um, in depth at verses 25 through 27, but I'm uh, going to read much of the context even around it to gain uh, the setting uh, in which Jesus speaks these words. Uh, he is speaking directly to Martha, uh, the sister of Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who lies dead in a tomb uh, there nearby, being dead now for some four days. The Lord speaks these words to her in John chapter 11. We'll begin reading in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you? believe this. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask that you would speak through your word this morning. Lord, give us eyes to see the truth of it. Give us hearts that we may apply that which you reveal in your word to our lives, that we may leave here this morning having been edified by your spirit through your word. Lord, I pray that you would use me a broken vessel as I speak forth your word, and that it wouldn't fall on idle ears, but ears that are open and listening for your word and for your truth, that, Lord, every believer would be strengthened by it. Lord, even through conviction, even through rebuke that is so often needed in our lives, we would be led afresh and anew to repentance and to restoration, to renewal in our walk and in our fellowship with You. And that, Lord, if there be any here in the hearing of my voice that have never turned to Christ, oh, goodness, I pray, Lord, that they would, that they would see even in these words that Jesus proclaims forth the need of Christ in their life need of redemption and forgiveness, of resurrection and life that only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. God, would you work of your grace accomplish that we ask this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. My goal this morning is really quite simple. And believe it or not, it was actually a little shorter than I normally preach in the first service. Simple, pointed, Subject, aim, goal for the message this morning. I, I hope to convince you of one glorious, life-altering truth. A truth that if you just can get a hold of this morning, it not only changes your living in the here and now, but it changes your eternal destination. And the grief even upon my heart that so many get so close, as we'll look at in just a moment, but don't get to the full understanding of this truth that leads to salvation. They're, They're close and yet still so far away as some who have come even this morning may be close. You're you're here and yet not yet there, not yet where you must be, where you should be. 
One glorious life-altering truth, simply put, resurrection is more than an event. It is a person. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Resurrection, it is an event. It is something that happened. And it is something that will happen. But it's far more than just an event. But it was an event that draws us, compels us to run to a person. To the Lord Jesus Himself. That what we even celebrate today, though we call it Resurrection Sunday, and though it is a day that has been set apart in particular for us to remember and commemorate and celebrate an empty tomb, is far more than just a celebration of an empty tomb. That what we do this morning on Resurrection Sunday is actually come before the one who ascended from the tomb, the one who is alive forevermore, the one who proclaimed here, I am the resurrection and the life. One who ascended to the right hand of the Father, the one who rules and reigns even today. Resurrection is more than an event, it is a person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It has well been said that there is nothing like death to make us desire resurrection. There's nothing like death. Grieving the loss of a loved one whom we cared dearly about, or even getting to a point in our own life where death is is impending in the immediate future. There's nothing like death that can make the human heart rightly long for resurrection. I want us to first consider as we look to these verses surrounding, surrounding verses 25 through 27, I want us to consider for just a moment the sorrow of death. The grief that rightly comes upon our heart in the face of death or walking through even the death of a loved one. Martha, in verse 20 is where we will begin reading, but Martha is the sister of Lazarus. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are all siblings. Martha, the the chapter, we won't read it all, all the way back to the beginning of chapter 11. I'll just give you a brief overview, but it's a really strange story in that Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. He's about a day's journey away that Lazarus has become sick unto death, that it's a serious illness. And they rightly believed in Jesus as the Son of God. They rightly had seen even um, and knew of the healing power of Jesus that caused the blind to see and the lame to walk and the leper to be cleansed. And they knew if Jesus would only come that he could heal Lazarus, who was their brother and dear friend of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a strange story because Jesus does not immediately depart. He actually delays for two days before heading to Bethany where they were. And his disciples are even confused, but he said it from the beginning. He says, this sickness isn't unto death, but is actually for the Son, uh, that the Son of God may be glorified, that God may receive the glory through what's going to happen. And the disciples didn't understand at all what that meant and what was going to happen, but Jesus very well knew what he was about to do. So needless to say, some two days transpire. It took about a day for the messenger to get to Jesus. On the the fourth day, Jesus now enters into Bethany. Martha is now grieving four days ago the loss of her loved one, Lazarus, who is in a tomb dead. And she runs out of the city hearing Jesus is coming to meet him and to ask of him, what in the world is going on? Why did he not come sooner? So in verse 20, we read, now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. 
and Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she, rightly knowing who Jesus was, said, but now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. She had a right theology. She knew that one day God would resurrect the living and the dead and that that future final resurrection and judgment. She believed that, but in the here and now, in the present moment, there was great grief upon the heart of Martha. Her brother died. Her brother laid dead in a tomb. And though she believed one day they would be reunited in the moment, in that moment there was great sorrow upon her heart. Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. There was sadness upon the heart of Martha, grieving the loss of her loved one in the face of death. We see the same is true to even a greater extent with Mary as we keep reading in verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Mary, distraught, grieving the loss of her brother, the friends who had gathered, other Jews gathered even, uh, lamenting, mourning, grieving with Mary, comforting her, saw her depart quickly and thought, She must be going to the tomb to grieve there. Let's go and weep with her. Then, verse 32, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There was great sorrow upon the heart of Mary, knowing that her brother had died. And we don't know the mind and heart of Mary, whether she was believing in a final resurrection at that end time or not, but in the moment and the immediacy of facing the death of her brother, she was greatly distraught. She was saddened. She was weeping, as were all the friends who had gathered with her. We see this response even from the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who were with her weeping, Jesus himself groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And in the shortest verse in the English Bible, verse 35 of John chapter 11, it says, Jesus wept. He shed tears of sorrow. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now this I find most mind-boggling and mysterious, that though Jesus knew he was about to raise this dead man from the grave, in that moment he saw firsthand, he experienced the sorrow that death brings upon humanity. And he was moved by compassion at the grief of Mary and these other Jews who were mourning and grieving the loss of their brother, of Mary's brother Lazarus. And he's moved to tears and compassion, sympathizing with us in our weakness even here, seeing the effects of death upon humanity. See, death is not what ought to be. According to the Scripture, even as we read Genesis, we see God created a world without death, without pain, and without suffering. 
God created a world that He pronounced good, and Adam and Eve were created in goodness, and there was communion with God, and they were not intended to die. And what happened? Well, sin happened. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and sin became an intricate part of human nature, and and the consequences of sin came by God upon humanity in order to, to show us and reveal to us, listen, you will not continue in sin and in disobedience for eternity. Forever. It's appointed unto man once to die. Because of sin, death has come, and death has come upon all because all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. And so God has brought the consequences of sin, death being one of those, with pain and with suffering, to show mankind you are not gods to live in disobedience to God Almighty all the days of your life for all eternity. There will be an end to you, there will be an end to your wickedness. We were not created to die. But because of sin, we do die. And death doesn't therefore sit right with us. God's written eternity upon our hearts, it says in Ecclesiastes. We were we are created with a longing to, to live forever, to be immortal. But because of sin, death has come. And now when death happens, rightly we grieve. Rightly it shakes us to the core. And rightly it, it ought to lead us to shedding tears and, and to weeping because we know it is not what ought to be. Grief is a right response to death. We don't like to think about death very often, do we? We do all that we can do not to think about death. Even in our day and age, and the way that we handle death is so, so removed from ages past and their handling of a loved one who passes away. Today we have funeral homes that immediately a funeral home comes in and and takes a deceased body away from us. And they even beautify it. And if there's an open casket at a funeral, you know, to present that body. But we we have no part in all of that. It's it's removed from us. And even in those moments, it only affects the immediate family. But I can tell you when that funeral happens, there's not any other time, I think, that I have people's attention, their ears. When I'm sharing about resurrection power from the Lord Jesus Christ and when I'm speaking and there's a dead body laid out here before me in a casket, there's something about that moment that calls our hearts to attention before God. Ecclesiastes even says in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 2, better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. It could be rendered better to go to a funeral than to a wedding. As a preacher, I do a lot of funerals and weddings, and, and I've said it before, not being morbid, but based upon this truth, I'd rather do a funeral than a wedding. A wedding's a lot of la-ti-da, getting everything right, and all the, uh, everything, you know, I don't have to explain it, it goes into a wedding. But in a funeral, there's a, a keen awareness of the brevity of our lives, of the temporary nature of everything. And there is, again, a a heart stance before God that is hard to duplicate in life because when we're living as we are today, even though I'm dwelling on this subject of death, it's so easy to not think about it. It's so easy to think it's something that happens to others. It's something that's far off. It's something that's removed. But when it hits home, when it's a loved one here standing or lying in a casket before you that I'm standing behind, it, it calls us to attention. Better to go to a funeral than to a wedding, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. The Bible commands us often to think about our deaths. 
Not in a morbid way, but in a way that brings us to the understanding that we are sinners in need of salvation. That we will not continue on forever doing whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want. That it is appointed on the man once to die. And then the judgment, Psalm 90 and verse 12 says, Teach us, Lord, to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Not to, not to live as if we'll live forever, but to number our days and realize there is a day where we will breathe our last. Death will come. Psalm 39 and verse 4, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. The finality of death. Ecclesiastes speaks of it also in Ecclesiastes 9 verses 3 through 6. Uh, Solomon writes and he says, There is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. And he's talking about death coming upon all. And he's examining it from this earthly perspective, an earthly sort of philosophical perspective. He says, Truly the hearts of the Son of Men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Follow that for a moment. A lion and all the strength and glory of a lion when it's dead, it has no glory. Uh, a stray dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, their envy have now perished. Never more will they have a share in anything done under the sun. If I am sitting at a cemetery and preaching this word even that I'm delivering now to a bunch of, of gravestones with dead bodies lying under them, there will never be a response. The dead know nothing. Their time and opportunity is past. There's a finality to death. And there is no going back and undoing what is done. There is no going back and changing the decisions made and the rejection against God even that was made. There is only for the living hope. And the good news is, as far as I know this morning, most of you are still alive. So there's hope to listen and to hear and to respond. There's nothing like death to make us desire resurrection. The sorrow of death, firstly, we've looked to, but consider also with me, secondly, the joy of resurrection. The joy of resurrection. In verse 39, we read that Jesus came to the tomb and He said, take the stone away. And Martha is worried, it says. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to Him, Lord, by this time, there is a stench for he's been dead for four days. Martha, rightly concerned, you don't want to do that. The stench will be overbearing. And Jesus said to her, verse 40, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And then he took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe you sent me. He didn't have to speak that prayer out loud because he's the, the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. There is a perfect communion between the Father and the Son. But he spoke it aloud that all of us, even hearing it today, may realize who he truly was. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he who had died came 
Lazarus, a dead man of four days, by the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, walked out, still tangled in the burial clothes he was wrapped in, and Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. The resurrection power of Jesus is being demonstrated here that foretells of that which would happen to him upon his death, burial, and then resurrection, which also pictures for us that final day of resurrection where he will resurrect all, all who know him, unto eternal life and a glorified, resurrected body. Can you imagine being there with Martha and Mary? They're distraught. Their hearts are filled with grief and sorrow. Their loved one, their brother, has died. He's been dead for four days. And imagine that Jesus' words, them taking the stone and rolling it away, and Jesus speaking forth, come forth. And Lazarus standing up and walking out of that can you imagine the instant change from, from sorrow and grief to utter joy and even disbelief, uh, shock, awe, amazement that, that Jesus the Christ had the power to give life to dead men? The joy of resurrection. Martha, when she came to Jesus, going back to verse 24, she... She knew much about Christ. And she came to Him knowing even the power of Christ. But she came to Him, and even the words that she says reflect her heart's faith ultimately being in an event. She says, Lord, I know there's going to be that day of resurrection in the final end days. And Jesus, His words to her, recorded in verse 25 are words that we know cannot be uttered by a mere teacher or by a prophet. Isaiah or Jeremiah, Ezekiel, David, King David himself, no great saint of Old Testament times or prophet or teacher could ever speak. She came looking for an event and Jesus points her away from the event to Himself. And He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You're seeking an event, but understand that event only points to Me. That I am the resurrection and the life. That He who believes in Me, though He may die, He shall live. When you come to Christ, Jesus says, I'll give eternal life. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Life eternal, where even death has been defeated and death is gained. To die is to be present with the Lord and, and to be given eternal life that, that never ends. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I'm going to step on some toes. preachers, what they pay me to do. Forgive me. And I don't do it judgmentally. And I hope you see that and understand that. Many gather, not only in this place, but many churches around our country this morning with 
because it's Resurrection Sunday, Easter. And they come to celebrate an event, in all honesty. They come as a memorial to commemorate something they hold as truth, yes, that there is an empty tomb. But there was someone named Jesus who may have even been the Son of God who died upon a cross, was buried, and on the third day He raised, was raised again. And so they, they come and they, they gather on this day because this is the day we commemorate that event, that empty tomb. And just as Martha, seeking an event and missing the whole point of the event, missing the one who was standing there before her, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, to understand this morning that Resurrection Sunday is not about an event, that the resurrection is not an event, Jesus says, that the resurrection is a person. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. But if you're coming here this morning and all that you're celebrating is an event, you've missed it all. You're missing the one who was raised to life again. You're missing the one who is Lord and who is Savior, the one who is alive tomorrow and the day after and the day after who is worthy of your adoration and your praise and your worship and your living. That if you only come on a Sunday morning called Easter to worship Jesus, you've missed Jesus. You're here for an event. And don't get me wrong, don't Don't miss the importance of the event. The events are important. They reveal to us the means by which this one who has been resurrected accomplished our redemption and salvation. I I encourage you and I I invite you, go to the cross and, and start there. Go to the cross and see the blood of Jesus staining that, that wood tree. See the nails that were in His hands and in His feet and know that it was there that He paid the ransom for your sins, that He took on the punishment that you deserve to provide a means by which your sin debt could be paid. He was the atonement for your sin. But don't stop there. Then go to the grave. You go to the tomb and you you walk in and you see the clothes there that he was wrapped in, lying empty, and where he he once laid, he he's no longer there. And you you while you're there, hear the words of those angels. Why do you seek the living among the dead? For he's risen. He did just as he said that he must do. The Son of Man must give his life a ransom on on Calvary. He must be crucified by men, and he'll be buried, but he'll ra- be raised again. Don't stop there in the empty tomb on Easter morning. The empty tomb beckons to us all, calls to us all. You run to the living Savior. You you run to the one who was resurrected, the one who is alive forevermore, the one who through the cross and the burial and the resurrection vindicated that He is truly our Savior and Redeemer, that He and He alone has the power uh, of the the keys of, of death and of hell, that He alone has overcome sin, death, and the grave, that He is the one that we run to, not merely the cross, an event, or the empty tomb, an event. Those point us to Him, our living Savior. And hear me, if you turn to Jesus, you will not just worship Him on Easter morning. You will take up your cross daily and follow after Him. Day after day after day. Because He's given to you forgiveness and redemption and eternal life. Hear Jesus say in Revelation 1, 17 and 18, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I 
am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. And you hear Jesus say in Revelation chapter 21, Behold, I make all things new. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my child. Hear Jesus say in John 6 and verse 40, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at that last day. Don't merely come to an empty tomb and give an intellectual acknowledgement that yes, there's one named Jesus who was raised from the grave. The, the devils know that. The Scriptures say they know the power of Christ, and yet there's no redemption for them. There's no salvation because... One, there's no atonement provided for them, but two, they've never repented and turned to Him. God doesn't call us this morning to merely commemorate an event. He calls us this morning to turn to Christ, to cast ourselves upon Him in brokenness and humility and the confession of our sin, but in faith of the the promises and the power that He has to redeem and forgive and renew and resurrect us. But if you're here this morning trying to figure out how to undo the mess of your life, it's not about church or reading the Bible or, or being generous or being good and all the things we try to do to earn salvation. It's about the cross and Jesus paying and giving His life a ransom for your sins. It's about His death and burial and resurrection where He overcame sin, death, and the grave. But it, it's not accomplished through just intellectually giving a tip of a hat to those events. My question for you this morning is have you come to Christ? the living Savior? Have you turned to Him, repenting of your sins and believing upon Him as your Lord and as your Savior? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? I I ask you this morning, do you believe this? May we respond as Martha, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. The resurrection is more than an event person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Heavenly Father, we come to You and ask that You would work through the preaching of Your Word to draw us to Christ. Lord, we thank You that He is not dead in a tomb in Israel, but He on that third day was raised from the dead. Lord, He's ascended to Your right hand where He lives eternally to intercede, to mediate for our sake with His own blood. Lord, we don't come to You in our own righteousness because of our own works of of goodness. We come to You only by the blood of Christ. 
we are clothed by your grace and his righteousness. He has mediated for us. He has resurrected our dead souls and given us eternal life. Thank you for that salvation. May every believer be rejoicing in that grace, in that salvation you've accomplished for us through Jesus this morning. Lord, I do beg if there be anyone here who's never turned to Christ. Maybe they came here to celebrate an event. I pray they leave living for a Savior who died for them at Calvary. 